Good morning. How's it going, everybody? Welcome. Hope you're having a good day today. Have you guys enjoyed this weather the last couple of days? It's pretty great. Thought since I complained about it being cold and snowy, I could say good things about it being warm today uh, in the last couple of days. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into what God has for us today, if, if we can. God, thanks so much for this place and for these people. I thank you for this, uh, this life that you've given us to share with one another, Father. I pray that you would allow us to, to see um, how you've called us and set us apart for this time and this place and this area and this community, God. Uh, Lord, you are a God of community and you've given us community, Father. And, and I pray that we would see that as an opportunity to, to lay a hold of you to deepen our relationship with you uh, because you are a good God who wants to give us good gifts, Lord. And I pray we would see the gifts that are in our lives as things that you've given to us. God, guide us now as we, um, we think. Uh, God, I pray you would allow us to, to think, allow us to um, engage with our brains today about what you want to say to us. Um, you are so good and you are so holy, Father. And uh, we, just, we just claim that this morning. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Uh, so last week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then uh, today we're talking about this verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, and we're going to talk a lot. So kind of the, the layout of the sermon, we're going to talk about comfort, and then we're going to talk about mourning, and then we're going to talk about comfort again. So at the beginning... I want us to talk about comfort. We've, a lot of times, I think I've, I've heard this a lot in, the, in recent days or weeks or months, that uh, one of the main idols for a suburban American is the idol of comfort. And you guys might have even thought about that in, in the past. Like, I have an idol of comfort. I, like, comfort is really important to me. When I don't have comfort, I get really angry, really frustrated, um, and, and I'm really sensitive to the fact that whether I have comfort or not. And so comfort can be an idol for us. And when because of that, because we're sensitive to idols and we're sensitive to the fact that a lot of times we have comfort as an idol, when we hear comfort, our brains immediately think bad. Like we, we, we want to rebel against comfort when, when it's an idol. But I want to proclaim to us, generally speaking, that comfort is a good thing. God intends for you to be comfortable. Um, scripture calls Jesus, it calls the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The comforter is coming. I will send you a comforter. So if the Holy Spirit is your comforter, comfort has to be a good thing, right? Um, 14 times in the Psalms, God is referred to as our comfort or providing comfort to us. So zeroing in this idea, comfort is a gift from God. And here in this verse, it's Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is, there's a peace, there's a, a, a reason that God wants you to be comfortable. Jesus said to, himself, said to us, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Inherent within that is, is comfort. Some of the, the root words there about rest are, is comfort. He also says, Peter quotes him in his epistle that he says, Cast your cares on me because I care for you. Jesus wants to bring you comfort, and comfort is not a bad thing. To want comfort is a godly pursuit. 
We spend so much time talking about idols and we want to tear our idols out and, and away from us. We run from comfort, but comfort is a godly pursuit. Um, let me ask you this. How would you fill in the blank? Comfort is. Um, while you think about that, let me, let me give you a few. Comfort is enough money to pay the bills. Comfort is a lack of conflict. Comfort is everyone likes me. These are kind of where, where idols become, where comfort becomes an idol for us. Comfort is a good meal. Comfort is a vacation. Comfort is a warm blanket. None of these things are bad in themselves, but they can be lead to bad. So how would you fill in that blank? Comfort is for you. No, it is not rhetorical. I usually say it's not rhetorical. Yeah, right. Comfort is air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. That's correct. Comfy clothes. Comfy clothes. Yes. You know what? This is, this is really funny. I, I came up with this, this quick little idea today, uh, or actually this week as I'm studying this, and I thought it might be a stupid idea, so I texted my wife, what do you think about this? And she said, yeah, that's a stupid idea. But the idea was for me to like preach in like jammy pants today. Yes. <laughs> to, to like illustrate comfort. So thanks, Rachel, for saying that. So I can, like, I can bring out that illustration without actually having to preach in, in jammies. She said, you just look so sloppy wearing that, so don't do that. Uh, so comfort is. What is comfort to you? Comfort is not seeing your pastor preaching to you in, in jammies. <laughs> Financial, security. Financial security. And so I, I, I want you guys to be saying these and thinking about these because I, I want you to see that all of those things can, like, you can fall off into a ditch on either side. Like, if I don't have comfortable clothes, if I don't have financial security, then I can't be comfortable. But at the same time, they can bring comfort to you. And, and if we put them in the proper perspective, they're, they're valuable. And, and they can, so as we think about comfort, I want you to think about how, how you can slide off into a ditch either, either, either side to to be a, a source of praise to God or a source of like anti-praise to God, like my God is going to be my comfort. Anybody else have any thoughts about how you would fill in the blank of comfort is? Meeting uh, weekly production goals. Meeting weekly production goals. Sounds like a, a, a job yeah. thing. And so you can probably chase that to like being thought well of by your superiors or being thought well of by your people that are with you. And if Rick's met his production goals, then Rick's doing well, and we like Rick. Um, and for, for me, that's, that's, a, that's a big piece of comfort is I'm comfortable when, when people are liking me. And I'm not comfortable when it's, when it's... You ever been with somebody who you know doesn't like you? And how uncomfortable that is? Um... I want you to, I, I've, I'm going to show you a couple of, there's Charlie Brown. There was a, a Charlie Brown Peanuts uh, little like movie, 45 minutes long. Uh, by the way, you can find it on the internet. It's called Happiness is a Warm Blanket. Uh, I remember it from a kid. I had a, I had a sleeping bag when I was a kid. It was a Snoopy sleeping bag and it said on it, Happiness is a Warm Blanket. Um, but I'm going to show a couple of clips from that. And, and by the way, one of the greatest theologians of our time is Charles Schultz, um, the creator of Peanuts, Snoopy. So I want to show you this, this first clip to get our minds kind of thinking about this, 
this notion about comfort as an idol or comfort as a gift from God. So, uh, Abram, hit that. that for so many reasons without like uh what's what's the bird's name i just totally blanked it's woodstock woodstock is is fluttering by all the characters and like you're seeing all the holes that have been dug and he's chasing like linus is is trying to find his, his blanket he's trying to find his comfort and his comfort has been taken from him and he's gone on this like digging all these holes and here he is and he's good grief and he's screaming, who, where did you bury my blanket? And, and I, like, I connect with that in the midst of like a world where we're, where we just need comfort and we want our comfort and, and we, we need like, and think about all those things that you said and think about the things that, that maybe you didn't say, but you thought, and where did you bury my comfort? And then like, it's just a, a miserable pursuit on your own to find comfort on your own and the the tools that you have to to find your comfort just don't work and the the shovel falls over i think that's just a like he's so sad and he's he doesn't know what to do um happiness and remember this the greek word blessed here is happiness it's it's most specifically translated as happiness but we've talked the last three weeks and and our community groups and you probably in your community groups as well have talked about the opposite of happiness for us mostly is the opposite is sad but that's not the opposite of this word the opposite of this word is full or or satisfied so it's the opposite of this happy is is empty happiness fullness satisfaction is a warm blanket for linus satisfaction for you is something else and it can be good or it can be bad when we recognize the gifts from god that god has given to us as like our when we recognize our comfort as something that god has given to us as a gift and we trace it back to him we do well when something is taken from us and we get angry at god because our comfort was taken from us we do poorly and as i've been studying this this week and just processing through what leading this church 
looks like for my own heart and for my own self and some of the comings and goings that have happened for us and some of the, the, the difficulties and hardships and, and all that stuff that, that we face as a, as a small church that's fledgling in North County. And I'm just processing through sometimes comfort for Rick can mean full chairs. Sometimes comfort for Rick can mean we have the ability to, to meet all of our, our debts. Sometimes, and I'm talking about as a leader of this church. And one of the things that God spoke to me in a, in a really profound and intimate way this week is, is the gift that each one of you are to the body of North Church. I, like, and I, I want you to, to see that. And so we can, we can idolize that. We can idolize each other, making you the goal. Or we can say, God, thank you for these people that you've given to me to give me a glimpse of who you are and how you love me and, and the comfort that you want to provide for me. And then I trace you as a gift to me back to God. What must the quality of God be to give you such a gift as a community? God values community, so he gives it to you. But there's cost and frustration sometimes when we live in deep community. Um, When we seek comfort in something other than God, we are adulterous. I want to say that again. I said it slowly. I'm going to say it again slowly. When you seek comfort from something other than God, you are adulterous. God intends to give you comfort, and he intends to give it to you in godly ways. When we seek it outside of him, we are adulterous. Imagine, think about with, with your spouse, something that your spouse wants to give to you. And when you seek that gift from somebody else, that's the definition of adultery. And consider, if God is the comforter and God wants to give you comfort, consider what you speak to God when you seek comfort someplace other than him. But the beautiful part about God is even when that happens, even when we sin against him, we're always welcome in his presence. You're always welcome in the presence of God. He is always accepting of you. And that's the heart of this simple little verse. God brings you comfort. Um, The Beatitudes are statements that build on each other like a staircase or a ladder that allows you to get to the next level. Blessed again means happiness, the sense that it's full and complete. We want to be satisfied and God wants you to be satisfied. And the Beatitudes are steps to get us there. Um, And that's why we have this here today. The first one we read last week, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit means, uh, fire that one up there. I want these to be up there as I, as I say these. Um, to be poor in spirit means that you realize and confess that you have nothing to offer God. And so the Beatitudes are steps to get us higher and closer to him. The first one is we realize that we have nothing to offer God. You are broke and broken. A lot of times people say broke 
Like this chair is broke. That's not what broke means. It's, this chair would be broken. Um, so we're, we're both broke and we're broken. So we're broken in the fact that we don't work and we're broke that we have nothing to offer God. We are complete beggars. And see me standing here. We are complete beggars before God. You are complete beg- You are a complete beggar before God. You've got nothing to offer him. There's nothing of value that you can create within yourself to bring any value to God. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And last week we talked about that spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which means the very, the deepest, most foundational part of who you are is your pneuma, your spirit. So at the deepest, most foundational part of who you are is broke, beggar, nothing to offer. And when you take that step, and you walk around this earth knowing that you have absolutely nothing to offer to God. You are in the very deepest, most darkest recesses of who you are is broke and broken and you're a beggar. It changes the way you see life. It changes the way you see people. It changes the way that you forgive. It changes the way that you ask for forgiveness. It changes everything when you, when you stay there and when you live on that step. You're completely and utterly broken. And God's response to you standing on that step is to give you his kingdom. And we spent a lot of time last week thinking about that. Like every, the kingdom of God means everything that he is, everything that he has. When we walk around this planet aware that we have absolutely nothing in the deepest recesses of who we are. He gives you himself in completion. And then the natural response to that is to mourn our own depravity, our, our own state. And we're taking yet another step up. And now we're even higher. This is like just my visual from here. Is, is way different than my visual from, da- from down here. I see you, I see life in a different way. I see life from an even different way here. But this, like I can see all of you really clearly. I was thinking a minute ago, Sarah is small, sitting behind, and, and, she, and I, I can't see her, her face. Now I can see her face. There's a different perspective that God is showing you. And, and the Beatitudes are steps to allow us to see how we engage this world. Consider that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the, the depraved, to understand that you have nothing to offer God in the deepest recesses of who you are. And then take another step up like you are broken about that. You're mourning about that. Have you ever mourned someone, mourned the death of someone, mourned the, the loss of a friendship, mourned the brokenness of a relationship, mourned something, of the loss of a job, the, the loss of, of depth of, of something? This is, I think we can, we can understand what that sort of mourning looks like. But... This is not mourning the loss of something. This is mourning what you've done to God. And, and I, like, I don't want you to miss that. And this is the tension of the Beatitudes is you get beat up with the first half of every one of these statements. You are poor in spirit and you mourn. And the reason that you mourn is because you 
have broken the heart of God. Think about Linus in his pit that he's dug looking for his blanket. How sad he is. Think about that. Consider that. And because his comfort has been taken from him. But God intends for you to mourn in a deep way what you've done to him. But his response in the middle of that is to bring you comfort. I can't wait to take another step. I don't get to take a step yet. Because that's next week. The third step. Uh, You mourn the fact that you're bankrupt and have nothing to offer God. Um, There's an element of God's sitting next to us in the midst of our brokenness that this verse is reflecting. So, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Really, it's just a, a way, and all of this is just a, a, a simple way to say, when you are mourning how you've broken God's heart, he sits next to you, bringing you comfort. Not unlike this. Fire that up, Abram. <laughs> First night without a blanket is going to be the hardest. Um, kind of just look at that. And by the way, if you don't know the history of Charlie Brown, her sweet baboo that she's talking about is Linus. That's what she calls him. And she's got a crush on Linus, and she wants Linus to be sitting next to her. And then she gets really angry when it doesn't happen. God, this is what comfort is going to look like for me, for you to put the, the boy that I have a crush on next to me. And when it doesn't happen, I get angry. That's idle. And here is the reality of a sad, mourning kid with his friend next to him. Scripture says that God, that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And like, I want you to just, just see that. This is your God. Um, in Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story. The son squanders all of his father's wealth, trying to satisfy his own desires, trying to provide for his own needs and his own wants, and winds up destitute and bankrupt and comes crawling back, saying he's no longer to be worthy to be called this man's son. Right? You guys remember that story? 
He goes away and spends everything. He seeks out his own comfort, his own idols, his own joy, his own peace. He seeks all these things out. And at the end of it, he realizes that he's completely broken and completely depraved, and he's mourning who he is. It's a perfect example of the first two Beatitudes. He's broken, and he's mourning the fact that he's broken. I'm going to read three verses uh, from, Matthew 5, or from Luke 15. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with my hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He is realizing who he is, and he's mourning who he is, and that mourning leads to action, and he comes in front of his father, and he says, forgive me. I've messed up. I've hurt you. I've broken you. Treat, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do for him? He does these things. First, he clothes him. He provides for his needs. He puts a ring on his finger, which establishes the fact that he's his, still his son and still part of the family. And he takes away the guy's shame and his fear. So there's shame and fear in what he says, what I just read. There's shame and fear. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father's response to bring comfort to this son is to put a ring on his finger. And to put a ring on his finger takes away all that fear and all that shame. That there's something wrong with me that God's, that's going to keep me from God. And God's response is to do something to convince you that there should be no more fear, no more shame in coming into his presence. Can I say that in a, like if I was a more fiery, angry guy, I would be yelling right now. But like, Fear and shame keep us from going to God. But God has, through the death and resurrection of his son, said to you, you are my child. You are always welcome in my presence. It's incredible. C.S. Lewis says this, the true Christian nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. The true Christian nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. What's in us is a cesspool, and the the true Christian response is to always be paying attention to the depth of our own sin and and the depth of what we're capable of. Um, I want to end us. uh, Matthew 11 says, uh, Come to me, all who labor and all who have heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What, is, what does it mean to be comfortable in the presence of God? Consider that. Are you, if, if, when you're in the presence of God, are you comfortable? What does it mean to be comfortable in the presence of God? I want to end with, uh, with one story. Uh, the other part of my bivocation, my, my job in the insurance industry is I, I together with, with one guy, lead a team of people, and we have a manager that's part of our team. So the three of us were having a conversation, me and, and my, the guy that's on my level and, and our manager were having a conversation about some, someone that had messed up earlier. That, that, so this was on Thursday, and she had messed up on Wednesday. She's supposed to have put together a, a policy for a, a guy's summer home in Florida, $1.1 million home, and she messed up. She didn't do it. Um, 
leaving the sky without coverage for about a month and a half. And so we were talking about that, and the guy that was kind of on my level had, had gotten really frustrated with her on Thursday or Wednesday afternoon, and there was, just, there was a lot of tension that was going on between the two of them. And uh, so she, in the, we had a meeting about how we were going to address the situation Thursday morning, and so we're talking about it, and, and the guy who had been offended uh, said, like, the, the main thing that I want to, to communicate in this meeting is that it's over, it's done with, there's no hardship between the two of us, let's just move forward and figure out a way to not do this again. Um, I'm not mad at you anymore. I was really mad at you yesterday, but I'm not mad at you anymore. He said, like, my priority is to communicate, I was mad at yesterday, but I'm not anymore. So we bring her in after we, we meet together about how we're going to proceed. We bring her into to the office, sit her down, and she's like, you ever know when somebody's just like right there ready to cry? She walks into the, into the office there, um, and, and she, she cries pretty, pretty easily. Um, and so she's right on the edge of crying, and uh, my friend who, who's on my level with her communicates that we're not, I'm not mad at you anymore. She starts talking. She, like she interrupts him and looks at him, face full of tears, almost like sobbing, saying, I just don't want to let you down. I feel so bad. I don't want to let you down. And she's like through tears, she's saying this. And it's really hard to watch. And, uh, and it's also really hard too because like I have to draw lines of like pastoring and like leading a, a business and like my heart wants to pastor her in that moment. And I did. Um, uh, so I might be looking for another job, but um, no, just kidding. Um, so, but like she, she goes on and says, like, I didn't sleep. I may have slept an hour last night because I thought I'd, I'd hurt you. I thought I'd, I'd damaged our relationship. I thought I'd messed up so bad. I thought I was going to lose my job. I thought I'd destroyed this, like, this guy, our customer's faith in us. I thought all these things, and I had let you down. The worst part is that I had let you down, and she spent all night, all day, the night, and, and for the rest of that afternoon on Wednesday, after she made the mistake and she knew he was mad at her, like, she didn't, this was how she worked the whole day. And then the next morning, she was doing the same thing. Like, nothing else was going on in her world. She didn't want to engage with anybody. And she's a very engaging person. She just, and, and it was like, you could tell that she was broken. And not the, bro, the sort of broken, like, she's just not who she's supposed to be. Because she thought that there was something between her and her boss. Um, but after we had that meeting... She was completely different. She was brought back into relationship. She was convinced that what she was believing about what the relationship was between her and her boss was was brokenness. But she was convinced by actions that there there was no more brokenness. Like the relationship had been restored. No more need to... To, to be alone, to be isolated, to cry, to think that she let somebody down. And the, the relationship was restored. Um, please understand that this is how God sees you. Please understand that most of the time, this is how you see God. 
sleepless nights, crying, I'm sorry that I let you down. And while those things are all valuable, the end of the day, the end of the sentence is, you will be comforted. Your God wants to sit with you while you endure the hardship of your comfort being taken away. And he takes away comfort from you to give you better comfort. Like, is that, that's really good news. He takes away comfort from you to give you his comfort, his better comfort. That's really cool. When you see your sin, God gives you his kingdom. When you mourn your sin, God comforts you. Let's pray and respond to this wonderful, incredible God who has comforted us with himself. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, how I thank you for Jesus. God, I thank you for times, and and I pray for more times, where you would allow me to connect with my own depravity and my own sin and the depth of the horror of sin that I'm capable of. Connect my heart with that, Father. And then in the same time, would you connect my heart with the fact that you have, have loved us so much that you've given your son for us, that while we were still sinners, you demonstrated how much you loved us by giving us your son. God, and I pray that there is never a moment for any of us where we doubt your love and your provision for our lives. God, I pray for those in this room. I I know that there are people here that lean towards their own brokenness and their own depravity and their own sin. And we can wallow and lay there and, and be there and stay there understanding our brokenness and understanding our depravity and understanding our poverty of spirit, Father, and mourning that and just spending time seeking out our own comfort and we can't find it because we think that we have to do something to prove it, Father. But I pray, Lord, I pray that you would minister your grace to us and we would see that you love us and you bring us comfort. And God, I I pray that you would allow us to see the things that you've given to us, friends, family, things, security, all the things that you've given to us, Father, that we would see them as gifts that you've given to us and that the comfort that you provide is better than any of the things that this world can provide us, Father. Thank you for Jesus. God, guide us now as we respond. God, I I pray that as we proclaim songs to you, Father, that you would allow us to to see you as the ultimate gift, Father. God, I pray that you would make our feeble attempts to worship of, of some value to you, God. Because you are so good. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.